my second sermon in this new series, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And, and I'll tell you where this series actually birthed from, and that is we started a new ministry last Monday night here at Kavanaugh Church uh, that's called Celebrate Recovery. It's a nationwide ministry. Uh, a lot of churches are doing it. Uh, there's only a couple in the River Valley that are doing it. We're involved in it now. It, it reaches out and, and helps people deal with their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. Uh, it helps them break free from whatever is, is enslaving them, and it helps them rebuild their broken lives. And, and thus, God spoke to me from the book of Ezra about uh, this ministry, and so these sermons are rebuilding your broken world. Today we're going to talk about overcoming obstacles. And anyone who takes seriously the challenge of rebuilding their broken world will find that it's not easy. Okay, let me tell you, it is not easy. When your world is broken, when your life is messed up, it's not an easy thing to fix. Whether you're trying to rebuild a broken life or a broken marriage or some broken part of your world, there will be obstacles, setbacks, and pitfalls. You can just mark it down. That is going to happen. So my aim this morning is to encourage you from God's Word to persevere. Okay? Now that's not a word that we use very much uh, in our world today, but it is a great word to persevere. It means just, just keep on going. If God has called you to rebuild your broken world or to fix what's messed up in your life, even though you're facing obstacles and setbacks and pitfalls, you need to just keep going on. You need to keep rebuilding. Don't give up. Persevere. Now, the book of Ezra contains an amazing story of some people that God used to rebuild their broken world. Specifically, they were called by God to rebuild the broken city of Jerusalem and the temple of God, which was in Jerusalem. For 70 years, the Jews had been in exile in Babylon. But God was moving. Last week we saw in Ezra chapter 1 how God purposed that Jerusalem once again would become a shining light for the nations of the world. So He moved the heart of this Persian king named Cyrus to allow the captives to go free, to go back home to Jerusalem and rebuild their broken city. And God also moved on the hearts of His people to have a desire to go back and fix what was broken in their world. Today I want to leapfrog to Ezra chapter 4. That's what we're going to preach from. Now, uh, I'm going to follow up next week and preach from Ezra chapter 3, either next week or the week following. And I'm, I'm kind of skipping Ezra chapter 2. And as you open your Bibles and kind of look at Ezra chapter 2, you'll know why I'm, I'm skipping it. It is a long list of names. And I'm not very good at reading these Old Testament names, so don't worry, we're not going to try to read them. But what you have here in Ezra chapter 2 is a listing of all the people who had been in exile in Babylon, whom God has now released and sent back to Jerusalem. Every person and family that is moving back to their home city of Jerusalem is on this list in Ezra chapter 2. And it also lists all the belongings that they have that they're bringing back with them. You see, here's the point. 
in rebuilding, God always starts with what is left. The remnant and the resources that they have. So here's the big reminder for us, and, and really this is, this is the point of my message. Now, I'm not saying get the point and then you can leave, or get the point and then you can tune me out because we're going to build on this, but this is the point of the message today. Don't focus on what is lost. What you need to focus on is what is left. You got that? Don't focus on what you've lost. Focus on what is left. If you spend your life just regretting what you have lost, you will never get around to rebuilding your life. So don't focus on what is lost. Focus on what is left. No matter how little it may be, God is going to use that little that you have to rebuild what is broken. Now, I said we're going to get to chapter 4. Before we get there, let's stop in chapter 3 and start by reading verse 3. Ezra 3.3 3. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Now, right here in, in, at the get-go, when they get back to the city and start rebuilding what is broken, you have an indication of the job that they're going to have in rebuilding their broken world and their worship to God. And the indication is it's not going to be an easy task. Now, where do I get that? From the beginning of verse 3. Despite their fear. Now, this is talking about the Jews who have been freed from captivity. They're finally back in Jerusalem. They're about to start the task God has given them, but we already see a fear that they have. And their fear is of the people who are around them. That indicates that there are obstacles and roadblocks and opposition Every step of the way. And I don't mean to keep harping on this and giving you bad news. The news is going to get better. But you know what? It's going to be the same thing for you when you go about rebuilding whatever is broken in your life or your world. There will be obstacles, setbacks, and pitfalls. But you got to remember what we learned last week. God is in control. God's in control. Now, beginning in Ezra 4 and going into chapter 5, this opposition becomes very intense. So we can learn from the people of God on the pages of Ezra how to overcome the obstacles that come into our own life. So, are you ready? Here we go. Our obstacles. I'm going to list four of them that we face in life. The first obstacle is subtle compromise. Chapter 4, verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. So we have it right there in verse 1. The enemies. The enemies of the people of God. Now these enemies are people who have populated the land and the cities and the towns during the 70 years that the Jews have been in exile in Babylon. Some of these people who are now living in Jerusalem and surrounding towns were Jews who stayed in that region and have now intermarried with pagans who worship other gods. 
So when the exiles moved from Babylon back to Jerusalem and Judah, they were not moving into empty cities and empty towns. Okay, understand, they were driven out of their home 70 years before. They've been in Babylon for 70 years. In the meantime, other people have come into their city and moved into their house. Seventy years later, they come back with a deed. This is my house. What are you doing in my house? Get out of my house. Can you imagine what hostility existed amongst these two people groups? They are the people of the land, as they were called in chapter 3, verse 3. They had a great deal of hostility towards the Jews who were coming into the land. But here's what they said in verse 2. They came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God, and we have been sacrificing to Him. Now, I, I really don't know the motivation of their offer to help, but you know what? If I were on the other side, and I was one of the Jews, and I was looking at this broken down temple, and my broken down city with broken down walls, I might give second thought to their offer, because if I'm using them as help, it's going to cut my work time in half, and my effort in half, and we can have this job done a lot quicker. That just makes good business sense, doesn't it? You know what? It was not God's plan to use these pagans to rebuild His house. Now, they may have been seeking God and sacrificing to God, but at the very same time they were doing that, they were also seeking and sacrificing to their pagan gods. And their offer to help was tainted with unsincerity. And the leaders had the spiritual discernment to see it. For the work of rebuilding the temple was to be done by the authentic people of God. Verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in rebuilding a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Now, here's the point of all this, because I don't want to lose you. Right? I haven't lost you yet, have I? Are you with me? All right, I counted 18 yeses right there. I hope the rest of you are right along in line here. here here's the deal. God has a right way to rebuild your broken world. We can call it God's way, all right? It's God's way to fix what is messed up in your life. God's work of rebuilding your broken world must be done God's way. And even though the need is great, and even though you want your mess fixed as quick as possible, you don't need to be resourcing it out to the world to have your problems fixed. Don't lower your standards or compromise your convictions as you rebuild what is broken in your life. You know what? Some, we do this all the time. We go to the world for advice and counsel on how to fix what is messed up and broken in our lives. But you know what? The world doesn't have it figured out. And if you follow their advice, you might have some immediate satisfaction and things may turn around. But you know what? They're going to go back down. Because the world's way of fixing a broken life is like a cheap synthetic substitute. It doesn't work. 
God has a perfect way to fix your broken world. You, you just need to turn to God and seek His advice. And don't compromise. You know what? It may take a while. It, you know what? It, sometimes it takes a long time to get things messed up. And sometimes it takes a long things to get things fixed up. All right, we won't get into that. But you know what I'm talking about. So tactic number one from the enemy. Subtle compromise. Obstacle number two, fearful discouragement. Look at verse four. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. Now, can you remember back when you were in, in grade school? This, this is going to be people my age and probably older because they change playground equipment because of safety standards these days. But do you remember some of the cool things we had to play on when we were kids? Really, do you remember? You know, I'm getting to a specific object that we use, but my mind has just raced to this one thing. that I don't remember what it was called, but you start spinning it around and you jump on it. And one kid, the mean kid, the bully of the block, would keep running and keep pushing. Then he'd get on at the end and he'd try to throw you off. Remember that? Merry-go-round. There wasn't anything merry about that go-around. Crazy thing make me sick every time I'd start throwing up, man, you know? You remember, those were cool things, though, weren't they? I don't know the last time I saw a merry-go-round in the playground. But anyway, what I'm getting to is the monkey bars. Remember the monkey bars? You know, you jump up there, and you're, you know, I'm talking about fourth grade, fifth grade, my girlfriend be watching me, and, you know, I'd be working down, working my way down the monkey bars, maybe stop and do a chin-up about halfway down. Flexing my little biceps, keep working my way down. Remember that? That was cool. I I really like the short monkey bars because I could make it I could make it down those without any problems. You know the long ones were man, they were hard, weren't they? And you'd get maybe like halfway down, and 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 you'd start losing your grip, and and your hands and arms would get weak. Are you with me? And and you you try so hard to hang, but all of a sudden you lost your grip and you'd just slip and. Your girlfriend would turn around and start watching somebody else then. Yeah. Believe it or not, that is the picture that is painted here. Let me go back to the verse. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage, and that's the word discourage. That is literally two Hebrew words translated, which means to weaken the hands. It's like when you're on the monkey bars and your hands get weak and you let go. You know how that feels, don't you? Huh? You know what it's like to be at a point where you just don't think you can hold on any longer. And this discouragement is mixed with fear. The enemy wanted to make them afraid to go on building. Might wonder, well, how's the enemy going to accomplish that? Verse 5 tells us they hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They, they hired naysayers. They hired people who, who constantly came around and told them, this can't be done. It's like spitting into the wind. You're not going to succeed. I can tell you this, setbacks and delays can be awfully discouraging, can't they? 
Everything you try to do is met with resistance and opposition. Things get tied up in court or in a government office somewhere. And it's so easy to get discouraged and become afraid. Now, is this a good tactic for the enemy? <laughs> you better believe it is. Does it work in discouraging us? Yes, it does. Because we read in verse 24 of Ezra chapter 4, Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. But as bad as obstacle number two is, there is a third obstacle, and I'm calling it false accusations. I told the people here in the first service, if there is one thing that I cannot stand, and that is to be falsely accused. The way, the way I look at it is, I've got enough faults and failures in my life I got enough bad things. Why don't, why don't you just pick on one of the things that are really true about me? All right? Don't be making stuff up. But the attack becomes personal here. And what Ezra does in the next few verses, beginning in chapter 4, verse 6, is to leapfrog over the time of King Cyrus and King Darius to about 50 years later when Xerxes is king of Persia. And the attacks are relentless. The attacks have been going on for 50 years and through three or four different kings. These vicious forces are still on the attack. By now the temple of God is rebuilt. They're trying to rebuild the walls, but they just can't get it done. Chapter 4, verse 6. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And then years after that, in chapter 4, verse 8, Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. And what we have in the next few verses is this letter that was written to the king that is just full of outright lies against the people of God. They are slandering and misrepresenting the intentions of the Jews in rebuilding this temple. I'm not going to take time to read the letter. You can do it later. But I mean, it is. it takes a little bit of truth and covers it with lies and accusations. I, I can tell you this. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing that happens to you internally when people falsely accuse you. The result of this is in verse 21. Now, issue an order to these men, and Artaxerxes the king is issuing this, issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I order it so. Okay? False accusations are demoralizing. One of the chief ways that Jesus' ministry was resisted was by false accusations. And Behind all of these false accusations is the chief accuser himself. His name is Satan. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He goes before the throne of God and he hurls accusations against us. The Bible says that one day, he will be defeated by the power of God and by the authority of the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we need to know that one of Satan's 
main tactics is false accusations. I talk about this to myself about the mind games that Satan plays with me. You know, I don't know about you, but that's the way the devil works on me. Mind games. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm beyond the point of going out and committing some awful, heinous crime or sin. You know, but I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I love the Lord Jesus and I, I, my heart's desire is to serve Jesus and follow Him and to live a pure, holy, godly, clean life. And you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've made some decisions, some just hardcore decisions. There are things I'm not going to do in my life. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. So, you know, if, 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 you, if, if you hear of me going out and doing something that's crazy, you, 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 before you spread that, you better make sure because it's probably a false accusation. Huh? Because I'm just not going to live my life that way. I've made a decision. I'm not going to do certain things. Do you know how the devil attacks me? Right here in Mohead. He gets between the two ears in that gray matter. And he starts lying to me. Okay? He plays mind games with me. He says stuff like, well, you can't. If I have a broken relationship in my life that needs to be fixed, Will, you can't do that. You, you can't fix that. That's, that's their fault, not your fault. You see the mind games he plays with us? When we have something that's really broken in our life and, and, and we know it needs to be fixed and it needs to be healed, he'll come into our head and say, well, you know what? You don't deserve it. You, you don't deserve that forgiveness or you don't need to be treated that way because of all these bad things that you've done. He plays mind games with us. He is the accuser of the brethren. But you need to understand where this discouragement is coming from. It's not from God. God's trying to heal you. God's trying to fix your broken world. It's the devil who's discouraging you. Well, let me get back to the days of rebuilding the temple that began under King Cyrus and then were halted under the days of King Darius. Again, in verse 24, chapter 4, it says, Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius. That's kind of a sad verse, isn't it? And it is to me. God, God had, had called these people to fix what was broken in their world. Just like He is calling you to fix what is messed up in your broken world. He, he gave them the resources to do it just as He gives you the resources to fix what is broken in your world. But you know what? Because of the obstacles, they came to a standstill. They started rebuilding, but it suddenly stopped. I've given you three of the reasons why. There is a fourth reason, not specifically mentioned in these verses, but I'm saying it is there, and I'm calling it paralyzing complacency. Sometimes the challenge of rebuilding can be so great and our strength so small that it's easy just to quit trying altogether. Sometimes when you failed at something, you are afraid to start again for fear of failing again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it may be in your marriage or your battles with an addiction or something else you're trying to rebuild. And again, I'm saying we don't see this directly in the Scripture, but... 
indirectly, it's all over the place. For example, chapter 5, verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judah in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Now Haggai and Zechariah's messages to the Jews as they face the rebuilding of their broken world are not recorded in the book of Ezra. But they are recorded in these two minor prophets books that they wrote. And from their messages we see that the Jews had become complacent about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding their worship. How do I know that? Well, I go to Haggai chapter 1 verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Okay? So Haggai the prophet is, is, is saying a word from God, and God is saying, hey church, listen, I know what you're saying. I hear what you're saying in your own homes, and in alleys and behind buildings. I hear what you're saying. You're saying, the time has not yet come for us to build God's house. That's a bunch of baloney. I mean, why did God set them free in the first place? So that they could go back and rebuild God's house. Haggai tells us they're concerned about rebuilding their own homes, but they're giving all kinds of excuses about rebuilding God's house. Why? Complacency has set in. The, the Jews over time became complacent. And friends, let me tell you, this can be one of the greatest obstacles to rebuilding what is broken in your world. And I, I, tell you, I wish I could say something to make you realize this and see this. It, it, is, it is so pertinent and so real. What happens is we, we just live, we, it, it's crazy, we live in the mess that we made of our life. And we know it needs to be fixed. We know things need to be restored. God is telling us to do it. We know from the Bible we need to clean up our life and clean up our messes and, and, and rebuild our world. But we have just, we have just lived there so long. And it's so, e it's a lot easier just to live that way than it is to fix the problem. And so we just come, become complacent and say the time is not right. Yes, it is. Because God doesn't want us to live that way any longer. And that leads me to the next part of this equation. You know, I've, I've made everybody depressed. Everybody's head's down. Your, your, your lower lip is hitting the, the floor. You're, you're all bummed out and depressed. Hey, I'm going to quit going to that church. I want to go to a church that makes me happy. Because God wants me to be happy. There's a YouTube video about that. What, what does Bill Cosby say at the end of that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, you just have to see the YouTube video. Apparently 95% of you haven't, but anyway. No, we're getting to the good news, okay? This is what you've come for, the good news. We've looked at the obstacles. Now we need to look at our overcoming. How can we overcome these obstacles? Because that's, that's found right here too. Three ways. God gives us three tools to overcoming our obstacles. Number one is the Word of God. All right? Chapter 5, verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Now, what this is saying in the Old Testament is this, interpreted from the New Testament. God sent them some preachers 
who preached the word to them. Okay? And I would, I would say to you, church, all of us, every one of us in this room need biblical preaching in our life on a constant basis for a variety of reasons. Why? Well, number one, people are saved through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel of the good news. That's the way God ordained. He set it up this way. People are saved through preaching. Whether it's a preacher standing in front of a congregation like I am to you, or you going out and gossiping the gospel. That's how people get saved. Why do people need preaching? Well, number two, believers are encouraged and edified and established through the preaching of the Word of God. Christians need it. We need preaching. You need the whole counsel of God. So I just try to stay in tune with God and whatever God is telling me to tell you, that's, I'm, I'm the mailman. Okay? All I'm doing is delivering the mail. And when God tells me to come in here and preach a sermon about sinners in the hands of a, of, of a, of a God that, you know, He reaches down and He takes sinners. God hates sin. God tells me to do that. I want to preach it. You know, I don't have a problem telling you that you're a dirty, rotten, no good for nothing, lousy sinner. Because I know I was, and I still am, but it's by the grace of Jesus that we're saved. And, and we need, sometimes we need that. You know, sometimes we need to come in here and just get some loving. Have God love on us. And tell us that, that we matter and that we're important. That He cares about us. And, and not to get down on this, this, this lady who said that from Houston a few weeks ago that's on YouTube, and I'm tantalizing you now. God is concerned about your happiness. Okay? He wants you to be holy, but God wants you to be happy too. Okay? We need to hear that. There are other times like today when what we need is, is just some instruction. We need it mapped out for us. Okay? Here's the problem. Here are the obstacles. And here's how we go about fixing the problem. It's God's way. Okay? And, and how we come about that is through the truth of the Word of God. That's why preaching is important. So it stands to reason that when the Jews in Jerusalem were weakened by the obstacles and attacks and setbacks, that God raised up some prophets who came to them and proclaimed God's Word to them. Again, we, we have the benefit of knowing exactly what the prophet Haggai and what the prophet Zechariah said to the people to help them out. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Haggai chapter 2 verse 4. He said, be strong, all you people of the land, from the word of God, be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. What a great encouraging verse. If I was preaching that today to you guys, I would say, you know what? God says, be strong, church. Hang in there. Be strong. Just do it. Keep working. Stay at the task. Don't give up. Because God's with you. And that, that comes from God. God's saying that to you. That was pretty encouraging. And then Zechariah had a, a specific message for the leader of the people, Zerubbabel. In Zechariah 4.9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. 
then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Now, hang with me here. Remember one of the great obstacles that we talked about a moment ago is discouragement? And I used the illustration about the monkey bars. What is, that? What is discouragement? It means the weakening of hands. Remember that? Well, Zechariah says, Zerubbabel, your hands will be made strong to complete the work. So as a result of these encouraging voices in chapter 5, verse 2, then Zerubbabel set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. He, he realized, you know what? God is going to help me. God's going to strengthen my hands. So they got back to work, and right alongside of them were these prophets, these preachers, who kept encouraging them to stay at the task. That's why I'm encouraging you today. God's Word is so real, and it is so precise. And I don't care what your need is, or what the mess is in your life, God's Word has an answer for it. Stay in the Word. Stay on task. Finish the work of rebuilding your life. Overcoming factor number two is the favor of God. Tool number two in rebuilding your life is the favor of God. The task that God gave the Jews couldn't be done in their own strength. And, and neither, neither can you go about fixing your life on your own. They would need and you need the resources of God's grace and favor to help push you through the obstacles. Well, th there's another attack that came, this time from a guy named Tetaniah. I don't, th this guy just had some problems. I think it stems back to the name his mother gave him when he was birthed, Tetaniah. If I, if I had the name Tetaniah, I think I would be a mess too. But anyway, he, he was a rascal, all right? He was the Persian governor of the region. He came to the, the construction site one day with some of his cronies. And in chapter 5, verse 3, he asked, Who authorized you to build this temple and to restore this structure? And then in verse 4, I want to know the names of the men who were on the construction crew. Isn't that typical of the bureaucratic type? And they're everywhere. Who gave you permission to do this? I want names. Tell me the names because I'm going to write them down and I'm going to turn them in. But this nonsense didn't stop the work. And why? Because verse 5, get this. Look at verse 5. But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews. Do you, do you see that? The eye. The eye of God was watching over the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply to be received. Uh, guys, listen to this. All of this started, this whole thing started with God. This, this was God's plan. It was God who moved on the heart of Cyrus to release these exiles and to send them back with ample resources to rebuild their broken world. It was God who moved on the hearts of these Jews to go back and take up the assignment of rebuilding their broken world. God's in charge of all this. We learned that last week. And if God is in charge of it, God is going to accomplish 
His great work. And His eye was on the work of His people. Wow. Reminds me of 2 Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And the way you know that the eye of the Lord is on someone or something in a way that the work will succeed is that you just watch it. You watch how God works. You see what God does. You know that God is in control. Your homework assignment is to go home and read Ezra chapter 6 verses 3 through 12. You'll see that this plan succeeded because it was commissioned by God. God works through all these obstacles. It takes a long time, but I'm telling you, God's plan never fails. And can I tell you something? It is God's will for your life to be made whole. It is God's purpose for your broken world to be rebuilt. For healing to come into your life. And God's eye is on you. God is watching you today. The favor of God is overshadowing you. God wants you to succeed. It is the devil who wants your life to remain a complete mess. God wants to heal you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to cleanse you. God wants to make you whole. There's one more overcoming factor. Almost done. Hang with me. It's the mission of God. You can overcome your obstacles if you don't forget you have a mission that God has given to you. Whether it's rebuilding your broken life or your broken family or rebuilding God's church or rebuilding something that is messed up in our world, you need to understand that this is God's work and God has partnered with you and you're on mission with God. So don't give up. Persevere. In this letter that is sent to King Darius from the bureaucrats, they unwittingly tell us something about the motivation of the Jews as they are rebuilding their broken world. Tetaniah said, King, I've looked into this matter personally, and I have confronted these Jews about the work they are doing to rebuild the temple. And this is what the Jews said. So Tetaniah is quoting the Jews here in chapter 5, verse 11. The Jews said, We are servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. That's what they said. That was their testimony. But do you see the significance of it? They knew they were doing something big. They knew that this was a God-sized task they had been called to. They knew what they were doing was something great that God had assigned them. And so they go on to say, we know our world is broken. It is because we sinned against God. Now guys, let me tell you, can I, quick time out. I didn't tell the first service people this because it just now came to my mind. But that is the first step, really, in rebuilding your broken world. You have to acknowledge there's a mess. And they did. They, they said the reason this temple has been busted down in the first place 
and the walls of Jerusalem destroyed is because we sinned. God told us, He kept telling us, if you keep sinning, I'm going to destroy this city, this temple. I'm going to send you into exile. But we didn't listen to God. We paid the price for it. But they go on to tell us in chapter 5, you know what? God heard our cries and He put it on the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to help us rebuild the city and the temple. Now we move down to chapter 5, verse 16b. From then until now, it has been under construction and it is not yet completed. It's taken a long time, but we're still building. It's not yet completed, but we're still building. Why? Because we're on mission with God. We're doing God's work. Here's the deal. Our broken world is under construction. Our world is broken. <laughs> you know that? And it's under construction. It's not yet completed. But we can't take our eye off of the mission that God has given to us to rebuild our broken life, to rebuild our marriage, or some part of our broken committee, community that God has called us to rebuild. We've got to stay on mission. It, it's not yet completed. You know what? We're still at the task. This message is to be personal. Because chances are, if, if your life is not a mess right now, it either has been or it's going to be. Just the way it is. Sometimes things happen that you don't plan on or expect. And all of a sudden, your world that you live in goes from calm to chaos. You know what I'm talking about. You've got a big mess. There, there are obstacles in fixing it. God called you to be an overcomer. And He's given us the tools of His Word and His favor and His mission. And you need to understand that if God has called you to fix something, He's not going to abandon you. He's with you and He'll give you what is needed to fix it. Now that's for you personally. But understand, for all of us who are Christians, that is our assignment. Because we live in a world that is broken by sin. And we are on mission with God to do our part to bring redemption to a world in sin. So, let me just bring it personal back down to you again. What barrier or barriers have you been facing this past week or this past month or this past year? Compromise? Discouragement? The fear of failure? Complacency? Whatever it is, any one of those or a combination of all of them, you need to just bundle all that up and bring it to the Lord today and say, Lord, these I know these are the obstacles that have been keeping me from doing what you called me to do, and that is to fix my life. So, Lord, I give you the problems, and I go on partnership with you today to be an overcomer. Let me tell you. When you do that, when you take that step, that is the first step of your own redemption. That is the first step of your recovery. God is going to take you by the hand and help you through whatever problem you have. And you will live in victory too. I want you to know that God loves you. Okay? God has a perfect plan for your life. 
The devil and sin want to mess that up, but God wants you to live the life of an overcomer. And he'll help you do it today if you submit to him. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would just draw us to yourself. Show us by your spirit and our own heart what we need to take care of today. Lord, I believe there is some, someone in this room, maybe several people, who've never given their hearts to you. And today, they need to know the power of forgiveness. And so I pray that they would bring their sins and confess them to you today and be forgiven and cleansed and be made a child of God. Lord, if there's a 